Well, as you turn to Malachi chapter 1, I just want to share with our church congregation something special next week. We have uh, Bree coming back for home assignment from Southeast Asia, and she'll be with us next Sunday. And so we're excited about that, and we want to welcome her back. So this is her church home. We are her church family. And so we want to welcome her back next week. So maybe you could bring a card and it just has an encouraging passage of scripture or a gift card to your favorite restaurant in Salt Lake that she can hit up while she's here. And we want to welcome her back uh, well. It says in Third uh, John verse 7, they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And so we want to join her and also Daniel and Christy, we want to join them in their work and we want to welcome this worker back for home assignment this coming Sunday. So please pray and plan uh, to welcome her. Now there are some Sundays uh, where um, I'm just burdened that our hearts would be prepared for the text and I'll tell you this morning, I don't know how you felt, but my heart was warmed in singing together. I mean, just worshiping God, being called by the lyrics of these songs to have hearts that were worshiping and adoring our holy God, our great God. I want to read just a preparatory passage this morning, and I'd like you just to listen. It comes from 1 Peter, the end of chapter 1. Uh, beginning of chapter two. It just says this. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I just want to pause for a moment and just ask that you, would, you, that you would just receive the word this morning as God's good news for you. It goes on and it says this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just ask the Lord to help you put away all of these things, deceit, malice, hypocrisy, envy, slander, any of the other things that cloud your heart so that you can hunger and long for and receive God's word like a baby receives milk so that you can grow up into salvation. I hope that that's your prayer this morning. Well, you'll see the connection as we look into Malachi chapter 1. Because in Malachi chapter 1, the prophet is going to address the priests, so the leaders, and the people, the priests and the people. And he's going to call them to worship that pleases God. Would you follow along, please, as I read? I'm going to read from Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And when I finish, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, to which you can respond, thanks be to God. 
And even during this time, would you maybe silence your cell phone, quiet your heart, focus in on God's word. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray this morning and then look into his word. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would be people who would present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. That is our spiritual worship. We pray that you would cause us to be people who give to you the sacrifice of praise from our lips, but a sort of praise that's not hypocritical, a sort of praise that truly does honor and fear your name. Lord, we ask that this morning you would challenge us and then lead us to right worship. The sort of worship that declares that you are a great king, that your name would resound from this place such that you would be feared among the nations. That's what we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if anyone in here is a calorie counter, but I've given it a shot a few times. I, uh, 
I have this app. It's actually on my home screen. Tells you that I long to use it. I have this app called My Fitness. And it has this uh, barcode scanner and this huge catalog of food. And you can use it to track your caloric intake. Again, I'm not great with it. But when I'm on the wagon, I do look at the labels. To be honest, sometimes, and I say sometimes, the tracker helps me make better choices. For instance, instead of having regular Simply Lemonade, which I love. Do you, do you like that? Simply Lemonade, that brand, it's really good. Instead of having just regular Simply Lemonade, I might choose the Simply Light. Because, you know, because it has that cool word right there, light. And uh, supposedly, it has 75% less sugar and 75% less calories than the regular Simply Lemonade. And if you believe the label, notice right at the top, it has less sugar, but it still has delicious taste. I mean, do you believe it? Some of you are chuckling because you really don't buy it. Sure, it says great taste, less filling, but you doubt it. You can't take out the essential ingredients and maintain the same flavor. In other words, you're smart enough to know that something has to give. Now, that's true with lemonade, but quite frankly, it's true with worship too. You can't remove the core ingredients of worship and retain right worship before God. Maybe I could put it this way. Light worship isn't right worship. And I think that's the first thing you see from our text this morning in verses six through nine. Notice how the passage opens with some illustrations. I mean, we're gonna clarify this point for just a minute. It's in verses six and eight. Notice verse six. A son honors his father. And all the dads are like, yes, they should. A servant his master. And then it says, if then I'm a father, God says, if I'm a father, then where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, priests who despise my name. Skip down to verse number eight. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? In other words, just as a son honors his father, a servant fears his master, a citizen respects his governor, so the priests and the people of God should at least show that same level of reverence for him. I mean, if you expect a child to honor their parents, if you expect a citizen to honor a governor, then shouldn't God be able to expect from his people that you would honor and fear him? Here in the text, it says, instead, they treat God as insignificant. They don't give him appropriate weight in worship. 
That's what the word despise. You see the word despise in verse six? That's what the word despise means. It means less hate and more that's worthless. It refers to treating as worthless or acting as if God's name and altar have no value at all. This word despise was used in Genesis 25:34 of Esau. It says that he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And in the text it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. In other words, it was worthless to him. It was of no value to him. And so he sold it off for some bread and stew. Well, the Israelites were treating the worship of God as worthless, of no value to them. They despised God's name and God's altar. I wonder if the same thing could sadly be said of many who gather in, quote, worship today. David Wells, an author, he, he wrote in his book, God in the Wasteland, he put it this way. One of the defining marks of our time is that God is now weightless. He rests upon the world so inconsequently as not to be noticeable. And those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television, his commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence, his judgment no more awe-inspiring than the evening news, and his truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. What is David Wells saying about our culture today? He's saying that God is treated as weightless. In a world cluttered with so much noise and so many other priorities, God has almost no value at all. If he gets anything, he gets last place and he gets the leftovers. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Now here in our text, the setting is that people were bringing the wrong sacrifices. They were treating God's name and his altar as worthless. They despised it. And so they thought they could bring whatever they felt like. The standard, however, was very clear. The standard for offerings that were supposed to be brought were listed in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 19 through 25. Here's a sampling of what it says. Leviticus 22. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. To be accepted, it must be perfect. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, shall, you shall not offer to the Lord nor give them to the Lord as food offering on his altar. It's very clear there. That, that was God's standard for these sacrifices. But what we discover in Malachi chapter one is that the priests were not enforcing that standard. You can almost imagine the priest's next door neighbor showing up at the temple. 
Hey, Shemaiah, how's it going today? Busy morning? The priest responds, oh yeah, lots of people stopping in to get their offerings done before Sabbath. But you gotta do what you gotta do, Shemaiah says. Yeah, tell me about it. These offerings are like weekly taxes. <laughs> and that makes you an IRS agent. The Israelite laughs at the priest. Shut up and bring that sheep over here. Hey, hey, Shemaiah, this one's got a little bit of a limp, but it's not too bad. Can we slide him through just today? You, you said that to me last week with that diseased mangy lamb you brought in. Listen, listen, this is the last time. Okay, but for goodness sakes, Bring a real offering one of these days. Yeah, 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 I know. Or I'm going to get struck with lightning or something. LOL. <laughs> and he hands off this sheep with a bum leg. And what we find in Israel at the time of Malachi is the priests didn't teach or enforce God's law. And consequently, the people didn't follow God's law. You know, there's a military saying, it goes like this. You can't expect what you don't inspect. And that's what was going on here in Israel. People were bringing, look at verse number eight and look at verse number 13. This is how it describes the offerings that the people of Israel were bringing. Blind you got this sheep that keeps running into other sheep or into trees, and you're like, oh, that one's worthless. Give that one as an offering. Lame. Oh, that one's not going to make it. Better give that one as an offering. Sick. I'm going to have to carry this one in. He's not well enough to even stand on his feet. I'll give that one as an offering. And even stolen, verse number 13, it says, those have been taken by violence. Stolen property. Those are the ones that you give because you don't want to give of your own. And the priests were letting all of this through. I want you to notice something that it's not just that these offerings were disappointing. In other words, God is not looking down from heaven and looking at the meager offerings that the people were bringing and saying, ah, they could do better. No, he looks down and he says, that's evil. In other words, when you bring second-rate worship, it's not merely disappointing, it's evil. Look at verse number eight. I mean, two times he says it there. Is this not evil? You get an idea of how God views worship. These people were polluting and profaning God's altar. Now, he comes to them and he confronts them but what you find is this classic response for the book of Malachi. We talked about this last week. I introduced it, but you're going to see it every single week. God talks to his people, and what do they do? They protest, argue, and dispute. So that's what you see in verse number six and verse number seven. How have we despised your name? They retort. How have we polluted you? They argue. The Lord clarifies the problem. By bringing polluted, defiled, the opposite of holy, offerings to my altar, verses six through eight. In other words, you bring me the leftovers from the back of the fridge, 
that no one's gonna eat. That's what you put on my altar. You bring me the scratch and dent stuff that you can't sell on the floor. You bring me the stuff that's on the way to the goodwill that no one wants in your house and you dump it off at my altar. I wonder if this whole idea of light worship, remember light worship isn't right worship. I wonder if this whole idea of light worship has a twinge of relevance that hits a little bit close to home for some of us. I mean, maybe even this morning, you're sitting there and you're protesting in your heart. You're disputing with the spirit. I mean, you wouldn't be so bold as to say some of the things the Israelites say, but you're making excuses for your light worship. Oh, I, I know I should prepare for serving, but I have, I have busy weeks. And a little last minute, something, something will probably be fine for God. Okay, okay, maybe I lowballed my offering, but at least I'm giving something. I know I don't make the worship gathering every week, but there's hikes and ski days and the kids' sports and sleep-in times, and that's important too. I know God wants my attention and my affection, but it's hard to stay awake at the weekly gathering. I mean, being up so late with friends and watching movies and stuff. We have all of these excuses, or maybe we could call them arguments with the Spirit of God as we try to justify our light worship, our skimpy giving, our haphazard service, our last minute preparation, our shortcuts in worship, our leftover energy, that's what we're giving to the Lord? How have we despised your name? How have we polluted you? We argue back to God. The fact we discover from verse number nine is that God won't accept moldy leftovers. You can't try to entreat God's grace, but bring these gifts that he won't receive. I mean, he makes this illustration. I mean, picture verses eight and nine. Picture a citizen going before a high-ranking government official and bringing a terrible gift that probably wouldn't work. He says, and yet you expect it to work with me? When I worked up at Hill Air Force Base for about nine years up there, in the first number of years, I was activated, and so I was in uniform every day, and I got to know the active duty side of the base pretty well. I worked for a two-star general directly, and there were a few occasions that he invited me over to his home for a formal dinner. I mean, it was one of these deals where you've got an installation with 22,000 civilian and military personnel, and the highest ranking officer on the installation says, would you come to my house for dinner with just a few other guests? So, I mean, there's like four people there and me. Now, can you imagine what it would be like for me to show up to the general's house on base for this dinner and ring the doorbell, he opens the door, and I say, sir, a housewarming gift, and I give him this little styrofoam box. He looks at me kind of funny. Oh, sir, it's leftovers from my lunch today. It's probably still good. The car didn't get too hot this afternoon, and I hand it to him. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, you're just thinking, you're like, that's ridiculous. You would never do that. He would never accept that. That would never fly. And God says, well, why do you keep trying to do that with me? That's what he says here. Light worship isn't 
right worship. You can't give God garbage and expect him to treat you with grace. Now this takes us a step further in our text. You see, God's tired of all the hypocrisy. He's he's tired of all the begrudging spirits. He's tired of disenfranchised attendees. And so the next thing we see in our text in verse 10 is something like this. No worship is better than faux worship. Now the word there, spelled F-A-U-X, is pronounced faux, and it means imitation, artificial, not genuine, fake, false. No worship is better than faux worship or false worship. Perhaps a little girl has jewelry to play with, but you don't worry because it's a string of faux pearls, fake pearls. Or maybe you just got to your first apartment and some of you in here, you're like, I'm out of the dorms, finally doing adulting 101, got myself my first apartment. And you're thinking to yourself, mom and dad have this really nice leather couch. I'd like one of those too. So you head down to Ashley Furniture and you start looking at some of the leather couches and there's this sticker shock. You're like, it costs that much. And so you leave Ashley Furniture and you head over to Smith's and, and you buy a faux leather couch. You know, it looks something like this in your apartment. And you're like, yeah, I know it's not real leather, but it's going to have to do. What God is saying in verse number 10 is that it would be better to close the doors, that there would be no worship instead of fake or faux worship. Faux worship is like plastic pearls and pleather couches. It's a cheap imitation. And God would rather shut down the service than have half-hearted, hypocritical worshipers. I mean, look at verse number 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would just shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I just wonder how God feels about our gathering this morning. That's what's kind of stuck in my mind. Can you imagine what it would be like for God to look at a gathering like this and say, it'd be better if you just kept those doors locked and kept these people out than that they would gather and have begrudging spirits and hypocritical praise Bring me their leftovers. I don't want it. That's what's going on in Israel. It begins, verse 10 begins with this strong wish formula. I just wish, God says, I just wish there was someone who would shut the temple doors. It would be better to keep people out than let fake worship in. I read this, I thought about Jesus, you know. Do you remember him going to the temple? I mean, just the grief and, and I think like holy anger that filled his heart. 
This place was supposed to be the gathering of God's people for genuine worship. And he walks into this courtyard and he sees all these money changers and people with their animals trying to make an extra buck. And he gets in there and he just begins to flip over these tables. He weaves a whip and starts whipping these animals to get them out. And he says, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, this is supposed to be a gathering of pure worship. And you have gathered people with alternate motivations. And what's your motivation for being here this morning? Why are you here? Does your heart really long for God? And I just want to say this. I struggle some Sundays coming here with a pure heart that really wants God. Like sometimes I'm just tired. You think, you're a pastor, you only work one day. You know, for goodness sakes, show up. <laughs> Sunday, this is your time to shine. Man, listen, some Sundays I'm just beat. It's hard to get my eyes open on Sunday morning sometimes too. And it's like, I'm just praying, like even this morning, just praying like, Lord, I, boy, I don't know if I really feel this. But I want you to have my heart. Like I'm a broken person and I, I don't have it all right, but I, I want to I open my hands to you this morning. I do want genuine worship. I'm like a failure of a worshiper, but you are worthy of my worship and so I want you to have it. I just hope like that would be our hearts this morning. And if it is, then your worship is a sweet smelling aroma to God. Even if you're a broken worshiper, if he truly has your heart, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Here, however, these people, these people were coming with hypocrisy. They were coming grudgingly. They were giving God their leftovers. And he says no worship would be better than blighted worship. God is so tired of empty gatherings. It's like no more irreverence, no more hypocrisy. No more going through the motions. No more disengaged people. No more disingenuous worshipers. No more. I think the point we need to catch here from verse number 10 is that corrupt worship is a pointless waste of time. God takes no pleasure in it and he will not accept it. Look what it says in verse 10. I will not accept an offering from your hand. I was talking to a student recently who wrote part of his midterm project only to discover that it was on the wrong subject. Whoops. I was at a workshop this past week in Portland where one of the presenters showed up to a breakout session only to discover that he had prepared the wrong material. Whoops. I wonder how many of us have half-heartedly brought something to God only to discover that it's vain, worthless, and unacceptable. Light worship isn't right worship, and as a matter of fact, no worship is better than faux worship. So at this point in the text, what can be done? Well, ideally, people will turn from their hypocrisy and their half-heartedness, and they will worship God the way he desires. And so maybe that's you, like even now, you don't have to get to the next point in the text. You don't have to worry about what's gonna happen in the conclusion. You just need to quietly, in your seat right now, just, just repent of how you came and gathered today. Just repent. 
Just turn to God. Just say, God, I'm a broken worshiper, but I want to be a worshiper who comes to you in spirit and in truth. Maybe that's what you need to do. That's ideally what would happen. People would turn and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. People would come to him with no other gods before him. But I think we need to ask the question, well, what if people won't do that? I mean, what if there was a nation who wouldn't turn to God or a church who wouldn't turn to God or an individual who refused to change? Well, the last part of our text indicates that even in those circumstances, all is not lost. Maybe I could put it this way. Failed worship won't derail worship because God's name will be great among the nations. Let me explain what I mean from this text. Up on the screen, you see this photograph, and it's of this railroad track. Do you see it? There's something terribly wrong with this railroad track. You say it's broken, it's, it's not usable, it's overgrown due to lack of use. Yes, and let that represent Israel's worship, or, or maybe yours this morning. Think about these people. They were tired, weary of coming before the Lord. They had feelings of drudgery. They brought lame sacrifices. They made broken vows. Verse number 13, you say, what a weariness this is. I just wonder, like on the way to church, if there was some of that this morning. Sunday. Mom and dad, do I have to go? Or maybe it's honey, do I really have to go? What a weariness this is. And you snort at it. Can you hear them sighing because they have to go to the temple? Can you see the diseased offering that no one else will buy at the market? Can you imagine an Israelite stuck in some sort of a bind making this vow? God, I promise I'll give you the best of my flock if you just get me through this. And then God gets them through and they're like, ah, just bring the diseased one. It doesn't matter anyways. Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and he vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Friends, before God accepts your gifts, he always examines your hearts. The worship of Israel was like this old railroad track. It was misaligned, dysfunctional, and ultimately useless. You could say it was failed worship. Now, if that was the only option by which God could receive glory, then their failed worship would have derailed everything. But notice what our text says in verses 11 and verse 14. Look at verse 11. Two times it says in verse 11, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. Verse 14, my name will be feared among the nations. Three times, God makes the certainty of his glory known. I mean, I'm reading this and I was just thinking about Jesus, you know. Luke chapter 19, 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Do you see what's happening in this text? You might fail in worship today, but God will be worshiped. He will be worshiped by you or he will be worshiped despite you, but he will be worship. His name will be great among the nations. 
Look at verse number 11. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You might be thinking to yourself, how will this be possible? Well, one day, a perfect high priest, not like the priests in Micah's day, in Malachi's day, a perfect high priest would bring a perfect sacrifice, not like these lame and diseased ones in Malachi's time. A perfect high priest would bring a perfect sacrifice and in that day, God's love would be manifested in such a way that people from all nations would be able to hear, believe, and worship. My friends, that's precisely what happened in the coming of Jesus. According to Hebrews chapter 10, he was our great high priest who not only made an offering for sin, but he was the offering for sin. He was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He was the curse bearer. Remember it says in here, cursed be the one. I mean, I just wonder if some of us came in here as worshipers who are cursed because of our rank worship. Someone became a curse for us. The curse bearer took the curse and through his blood he opened up, it says in Hebrews 10, a new and living way to God for all nations. Friends, don't you remember just before Jesus' ascension, he looks at his disciples and says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You'll receive Acts chapter one, verse eight, you'll receive power when the spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Why? So that his name will be great among the nations. My friends, God doesn't want fake worship. He doesn't want hypocritical sacrifices. He doesn't want half-hearted praise or Sunday drudgery. He wants his people to receive his love, remember? That's how the chapter opens. He declares his love for you. He wants you to receive his love and worship him wholeheartedly. He wants to be truly honored and feared as the living God. And the fact is he will be praised with or without us. So may the Lord teach us to worship and help us offer a genuine sacrifice of praise from our lips today. Let's pray. Friends, would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning and just reflect on the word of the Lord? We've learned that light worship isn't right worship. No worship is better than faux worship. But that doesn't mean quit. It means repent. It means change. At the end of the day, failed worship won't derail worship, but don't you want to be part of the crowd that sings, worthy is the lamb who was slain? Don't you want to join in genuine worship that pleases God? Friends, I don't want this church to be bypassed. So let's turn to the Lord in true worship. Let's respond to him. So what is God doing in your heart today?